Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F dot com. NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those Camrys up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. I must say our team was not for sale. Justin simply came to me with a great offer and even a better vision for, for racing. You know, there's a lot of new blood in NASCAR, as you've heard or read of recent NASCAR Live is brought to you by Whelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry. Trusted to perform since 1952 by Xfinity X5, internet that's more than just fast. Xfinity, proud premier partner of NASCAR. And by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the motor racing network. Blue Emu is family owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast and you won't stink. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew for yet another weekly get-together. A get-together this week that's going to focus on part two of our top ten stories of 2021. If you were with us last week, you heard us discuss the new tracks that came onto the schedule in 21. Fans returning to the grandstands. The struggles of Kevin Harvick last year, first-time winners, and the feuds that some of the drivers got into. Well, this week, the whole gang is back again to discuss the remaining stories that stood out to us in 2021. Before we begin that process, and before we jump back into that discussion, Kyle Ricky is here to get us caught up on the latest headlines in NASCAR Nation. Kyle? Mike, we now know who will be piloting one of the final open rides in the NASCAR Cup Series in 2022. Colleague Racing announced on Tuesday morning that three of the Xfinity Series Championship 4 will split the number 16 car. Noah Gregson will drive the entry in 14 races, while Xfinity Series Champion Daniel Hemrick and A.J. Allmendinger will split the remaining 24. Hemrick was already announced as moving to colleagues number 11 car in the Xfinity Series as Justin Haley moves up to the Cup Series full-time. The exact schedule for the three drivers will be announced at a further date. Hemrick will be one of the drivers behind the wheel as NASCAR continues testing their next-gen car at Charlotte Motor Speedway this week. The cars will once again be prepared by the team as the sport gears up for the 2022 season. The test will take place on the Charlotte Oval on Wednesday and Friday and will be the final test of the next-gen race car in 2021. The cars will be back on track with tests taking place at Phoenix and Daytona in early 2022. 
Finally, a familiar sponsor is returning to NASCAR next season. Wheaties will make its return as a primary sponsor of Bubba Wallace's number 23 car at the Auto Club Speedway. The Breakfast of Champions is back as a partnership that includes a special edition cereal box featuring 2311 co-owner Michael Jordan. Mike. Thank you, Kyle. When we return, it's back to the top 10 stories of 2021. And the first of those, we will discuss the next gen race car. This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota racing team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like sixth grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Throughout 2020 and 2021, the rumors were going wild about the next generation race car for the NASCAR Cup Series, what it would look like, what it would have under the hood, what would teams be given to work with. There's been testing, and slowly more information has come out, but there's still a lot of questions. We're now just a few short months away from the next-gen car hitting the racetrack. Dave Moody, Steve Post, Kurt Becker are here Gentlemen, what are you expecting in terms of this new race car? Well, I can tell you this. I've never gone into a season knowing less about what to expect than I know right now. I don't have a clue who's going to be good. I don't have a clue who's going to be bad. I don't have any idea who's going to figure it out fast versus not so fast. And the neat part about it is I'm not alone. Nobody else knows either. I talked to Rodney Childers the week after Phoenix. And he said he walked into the shop and the parts department was bare shelves. While the team had been gone to Phoenix, they took everything that didn't apply to the new race car. And that's everything. They took it all and they just sent it. Whether it went down the road to an Xfinity team or an ARCA team or or in in a lot of cases into the dumpster or to the salvage yard, everything disappeared. And it is a completely white sheet of paper. I think over the long haul, the good teams are still going to be good, and the mediocre teams are still going to be mediocre, and the guys that finish in the back will still finish in the back. But I think if we've learned anything in testing in the last couple of months is that the gap between the front and the back is going to be a lot smaller than it's ever been before, which means that 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 team for whom a 20th place used to be a good day now can dream about maybe a 10th. If everything goes right and we catch a couple of breaks, maybe we can get a top 10 finish. And we've never had a 15th before, so that's a big deal. Yeah, Dave, it really truly is. And it just kind of, it does level that playing field a little bit. I have found the process just to be fascinating. I have just, because, because in the era we live in, every test was either the greatest thing in the world or the worst thing in the world. And yeah, I had people over the course of the season, what do you think of the new car? I said, I really haven't put much energy into the new car because the car we're testing in October is not going to be the car we're racing in February. I mean, there's just a still, there's evolution going on now, as a matter of fact, with this car, as we get closer and closer to the race out of the Coliseum to kick it off. So, and in the, the one thing 
I, I have I have a lot of confidence that NASCAR is going to get this car right. I really do. And the other thing I have even more confidence in is the men and women in these shops. We could give them the blueprints of a wheelbarrow, and they would go give us a great American Daytona, a great American race Daytona 500 for the ages. So the men and women in the shop. So as this thing has been fine-tuned, uh, you know, we, we had this problem, but it got fixed. We had that problem, and everyone's hair went on fire, and Twitter was blowing up, and NASCAR's going to hell in a handbasket because, because of this. Well, it got fixed, and, and it all got fixed months and months and months. Now we're in the fine-tuning of this. And, 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 Kurt, when you look at it, evolution, this is a big change, okay? But this is the next-generation race car. It's not the second-generation race car. It's the next generation. This sport has always evolved. This is big, big changes, but this sport is really good at evolving. I'm, I'm a fan of the Three Stooges, and, and the late, great Shemp Howard used to say, Rome wasn't built in a day, and neither was Syracuse. And I, I think we all have to remember that as we go through the testing and the development of the next-gen car. You, know, you, you think back to, to bygone eras, and, and you think back to when Junior Johnson's driving down the backstretch at Daytona and discovers the drafting effect. Or you think about a mechanical mind like Smokey Eunuch, who had the ability just to sit back and observe and something would pop into his head and he would get an idea and it would work. Well, it's a different era. And you guys mentioned the men and women back in the shops and you mentioned the, the blueprints for a wheelbarrow and such. Well, these are people that now, through the evolutions in science and technology, they are able to see things that no one could see before or understand before or put on paper before. So it is a work in progress, and it does seem like that right now, when one glitch or one challenge is resolved, it almost seems to lead to two others. But the great thing is, it's being addressed, and I think we're headed for a fine season of racing. Posty, you brought up a great point. NASCAR is really trying to be innovative in bringing this card to life. Why is this so important? Well, first off, it's much more relevant to the the 2022 addition of the streetcars. The, the manufacturers, Ford and Toyota and Chevy, are so important, okay? One of the key elements of the NASCAR car that we have had for years and years and years is the truck arm, okay? Now, I don't know when the last time a truck arm was in a streetcar. I was talking to uh, Kevin Kidd. He's one of the lead engineers over at Roush Fenway Racing. He said, I have never invested so much time and energy into a part, the truck arm, that has no relative connection to a car. He said, but we have engineered truck arms like you wouldn't believe. And that's just one aspect of it. This car with the suspension parts and pieces, this car with just the look of it, the overall look of it, this car with the drivetrain that's so much more similar. In a few years, we're going to change the engine around as little as, as well. Dave, it's a matter of relevance to the manufacturers. And that's that's one of the big elements of this. And that what they they race on mon a race on Sunday. There's some of that that will be in the streetcars that we can go out and buy on Monday. For the, for the manufacturers, they played along for a long, long time. And your, your truck arm rear suspension was a late 60s deal. It's been a long time since the late 60s. You know, and, and win on Sunday, sell on Monday is wonderful. But you got to have a little something to hang your hat on there. And the manufacturers got to the point where they were no longer willing to say, okay, it's not very close, but it's close enough. 
they really kind of dug their their heels in at long last and they had every right to do so saying listen guys you've got to find some way to make these race cars relevant to what we're selling and if you don't there's really going to come a time where it's not worth it to be here well now it is 100 percent worth it to be here all of us you know we've all spoken to all three of the manufacturers and they all say we've never been happier with the way things look right now in terms of being able to go back to our dealers and say you're going to be able to sell cars based on what happens on the track on sunday afternoon it's never been better than it is right now and guys i think that it doesn't hurt whether you're a manufacturer whether you're a driver whether you're a crew chief the folks back at the shop it doesn't hurt to be pushed out of your comfort zone a little bit i mean i know you guys we, we've talked about like with steve with the summer shootout or Dave, when you get an invitation to go out to, to a mom and pop short track to, to, to do some announcing, it's a different challenge for us as announcers. Frankly, it's it's a good thing. I mean, it, when, when I get called to in, into a different circumstance, it shakes me up. Sometimes I walk into it thinking, okay, can I really do this? But then in our case, you pick up the microphone and you go and you walk away saying, you know what? All right, that was cool. That was fun. Yeah, we can deal with this. It's not always a bad thing. In fact, it can be a very good thing. Let's also bring in NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace. Rusty, what do you make of this new race car? Well, what I've seen so far, I like. I'm a big uh, opponent, a proponent of the single lug nut. I've always liked that idea. Uh, bigger brakes, uh, something that needed to happen in NASCAR for a long, long time. They got a bigger wheel now. They got one lug nut on there. Independent rear suspension is something that was a big reach, in my opinion, for NASCAR to do. Although every other form of motorsports that uh, that are considered real race cars have gotten independent rear suspensions. You're talking IndyCar. You're talking uh, the 24-hour Daytona cars. You're talking all these Ferraris. All these type of real high-end race cars have got independent rear suspensions. So now they've got that. They've tested a lot. It seems to be pretty bulletproof right now. I guess the big concern is how are these cars really going to race, say, in the Daytona 500, or maybe at Atlanta or Charlotte when it's hot and slick and all that type of stuff. How are they going to work? I am concerned that they, you know, they got to stay working hard to get these cars cooled down inside. That's the biggest complaint the drivers are telling me they're having. They're just so god uh, uh, doggone hot inside the car because of the design of the car. But hey, they know that they're working on it. Uh, but the main purpose of this car, you got to remember one thing. One of the main purposes of this car was to get it to race better side by side. So we always heard of the dreaded arrow push. They're trying to get that gone with this new car, and they're really relying on a lot of the underbody downforce to help that instead of 100% relying on everything going over top of the car, air I'm talking about. So uh, let's hope it works. That was one of the main reasons. Uh, and and, and they're, they've been doing a lot of testing, so I, I got to hand it to them. They're getting prepared. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Coming up, it'll be time to talk about Kyle Larson's dominance. Sir, are you aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top 9 miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American Racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Now, back to Mike Bagley. 
Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Obviously, the biggest story of the year is Kyle Larson winning the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series Championship. Jeff Striegel and Alex Hayden are here with me now to look back on this championship season. Jeff, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on not only what Kyle Larson did coming back and winning the championship, but the year that he was able to put together in order to get that done? I don't think anybody saw the kind of year that we saw with Kyle Larson. I don't think anybody expected it. Uh, I think we all recognized that he had the talent to be able to win races. I don't think anybody saw 10 races coming. I'm not sure how many people saw a championship as quickly as they were able to put it together. Alex, I think you and I both know that it takes time to build that puzzle to get all the pieces in place. I think we knew that they had a championship team and organization that we knew coming in, but to see it gel as quickly as we did, was that a surprise to you? Uh, yeah, actually it was. But once, once the season wound on, we had a chance to speak with Kyle Larson uh, in Phoenix before the last race of the year, it kind of fell into place and kind of made sense because to, to your point, no one expected the team to come out and have the success that they had right off the bat. And it wasn't that they were just winning races. They were dominating races, winning stage after stage, leading a ton of laps. And, and nobody kind of expected that. And to my point then about uh, in, in Phoenix, we had a chance to sit down with Kyle Larson. And he said, you know what? I don't know what a car does. I, I just know what I feel. It's my job to drive every single lap as hard as I can and let my crew chief Cliff Daniels and the team of engineers and the team of mechanics do their job on, on fixing the race car and get it to, to handle the way I kind of want it to handle. So uh, then it kind of made sense. They didn't have to have great communication. Larson went out and drove every lap hard. Cliff Daniels looked and watched the race car on the track, had some data, had just a little bit of dialogue with his driver, Kyle Larson, and said, okay, here's the direction I feel like we need to go with the race car. And it was just pure magic. It absolutely was. And what really jumps out at me, Mike, is the NASCAR Cup Series schedule is so long. And it goes from, we all know, February to November, to sustain a high level of performance week in and week out for that long, to me, was just remarkable. It's amazing how you put together a season like this and you're on the chip for so long. And there are ebbs and flows. I mean, not every race is going to go your way. But for the case of the five team, more went their way than didn't. Let me, let me throw this philosophical question out to you. Alex, I'll begin with you. Did Cliff Daniels make Kyle Larson a better driver or did Kyle Larson make Cliff Daniels a better crew chief? I don't think either one. And the reason I think that is because Cliff Daniels, when you look at this young man, he was the engineer, the lead engineer for Jimmy Johnson for a couple of years before getting promoted to be Jimmy's crew chief and finally Jimmy's final crew chief before Jimmy left NASCAR. So he was good. He was talented already. I think Kyle Larson was a talented race car driver. We all knew that before the Hendrick Motorsports deal came about. I think it was the perfect storm. And, and the reason I think that is because with all that Kyle Larson went through off the racetrack last year, what more do you need to, to have motivation-wise than to prove to everybody that you're a different person and to prove to everybody I'm here because I love driving race cars and thank you for the second chance. He was going to make the most out of everything. And I think Cliff Daniels being as smart a guy as he is, 
I don't think it was necessarily that Kyle made Cliff better. Cliff was good already. It was just the perfect storm, in my opinion. Jeff, what do you think? Agree 100%. I think when you talk to Kyle, he'll be the first one to tell you that I don't spend a whole lot of time communicating back and forth with the team engineers, telling them what I need, uh, how to go about it. He'll be the first one to admit, I come here and I drive. I think he's a rare breed that has the type of talent to get behind the wheel of a race car and just make that car better. Kyle Larson makes everything better. Cliff Daniels gave him a great product, and Kyle Larson drove the wheels off it from the beginning of the season to the end. I don't, I don't necessarily disagree, but I will give you something else to consider. Cliff admits that when he got the assignment that Kyle was coming to the team, he immediately went to his open wheel crew chiefs, and he went to open wheel races, and he went to look at, see what Kyle likes, his tendencies, talk to his crew chief. What does he like in a car? And it wasn't that, hey, I'm the crew chief. You're going to get what I give you. It was, hey, let me learn about you. Let me find out what you like and see what I can do to give you that over here. And I think that some of that rolled into the NASCAR successes. And for Cliff to take on a new driver that hasn't driven a cup car in almost a year, to then put him in the legendary five car at Hendrick Motorsports and to come out of the box, third race out, and you win a race, and then they keep coming and coming and coming. To me, I think there are a lot of spokes in that wheel, but I think that every spoke in that wheel had a solid part, and we could we could sit here and talk about this for, for hours and hours and hours, that whatever that recipe was, Alex, that's a winning recipe. I'm sure that Rick Hendrick would like to have bottled, jarred, patented, and trademarked. No doubt. I agree 100%. I, I love where you're at on that, too. I, I like to think of it this way. If you remember back when Joey Logano left Joe Gibbs Racing to go to Team Penske, he, he made it clear that when he raced at, at Joe Gibbs Racing, he never really felt like it was his team. It was taking over for Tony Stewart. When he got to Team Penske, he felt like, okay, this is my team. This is my car. This is my, my fresh start. I think a lot can be translated in that same line of thinking to Cliff Daniels because Cliff, Jimmy Johnson was never his driver. The 48 team was never his team. That was Chad Knauss's. When Chad got promoted up the line, Cliff jumps in and becomes crew chief. That, that's one thing after a, a quick stint with, with another crew chief before Cliff took over. Now this is a clean sheet of paper. I think this was Cliff Daniels's chance to say, this is my team. This is how I'm going to run it. I don't have to worry about messing up what Chad Knauss built. I think it's just a, a, a great marriage. Don't you think you could also add to it how well they complement each other? I'd like to use that word. They just seem to complement each other. And the other thing that I would add, Alex and Mike, is two other words, and that is ego and humble. When you take a look at two drivers that don't, that check their ego, or two individuals that check their ego at the door, you can look at Cliff Daniels and you can look at Kyle Larson. They don't carry around a big bag full of ego. They're both uh, very humble individuals. And therefore, I think when you talk about that puzzle and how they fit together, I think, Mike, it was you that said that it was just magic from the time that they came together as one. It was certainly magic. And what a story of a comeback it was for Kyle Larson. I'm going to bring NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace into the discussion again. Rusty, Kyle won 10 races this year. What does that tell you? Number one, 10 races is just unreal. I mean, it's a big, big number. Not many people have accomplished that. But, 
you know, going into the season, I think we all thought that he was going to be really good. I don't think any of us thought he was going to be that good where he'd win 10 races. But, boy, I tell you what, Mike, as the race got, as the year got going, uh, it became pretty evident that he is really, really tough and that maybe this was going to be his magical year. And when it was all said and done, it was. I mean, what a great find for Hendrick. And, again, it, no big surprise that he was going to be one of the top guys every single week. Coming up, we'll talk silly season. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Normally, once the final checkers are thrown and we've crowned a champion, the silly season starts. Well, in 2021, once we crowned Kyle Larson as our champion, almost the entire silly season had been done already. News about who was going where started to come out in the summer months, and it never slowed down. Jason Toy, Kim Cooner here to discuss this. Jason, let's take a look at 2311 Racing. Kurt Busch will be joining that team in 2022. What do you make of that move? In order to build that organization, they needed somebody with a championship background, I think, to kind of help get them quicker to where they need to be. Uh, and to have a championship background like Kurt Busch has, who's in the second half of his career in NASCAR, but still has a lot to offer a team and could still run for a championship. We saw him contend this year. I think it was a great pickup for him indeed. Now, it was a very expensive deal for him to do by the time they were able to actually secure a charter that they bought from Starcom. But it uh, it's the nature of the business right now. They want to, the charter system is there for a reason. So it makes them more valuable to be able to get them. They got that second charter finally. It was risky going in, doing it before they had the charter, but they had confidence thinking they could do it. I know they had a couple of things fall through, but I think him transitioning over will help that organization build quicker. Now, will it make them immediate championship contenders? Not this year, maybe next year, but they definitely could be in contention to win some more races this year. Bubba's got somebody he can bounce things off of a little bit more now, as opposed to having to, to strictly depend on Denny or the other uh uh, JGR Toyota people as you know they're part of their partnership deal but now he's got a true teammate that will help Bubba grow but I think more importantly for Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan in 2311 racing I think it's to build that organization up to make him into a championship contender because when you put Denny Hamlin together with the all-time great the GOAT and, and Michael Jordan they're not there just to be able to race every weekend to have their product seen out there they want to win championships it's the only reason why they're doing it I think it'll give us a good idea of where 2311 racing is in terms of their competitiveness. We saw Bubba be competitive at this season and even win a race. Um, but to put a driver in one of their seats who has won a championship, who has won multiple races over, I think is going to be a very good thermometer on where is this team, what it needs. And to Jason's point, being able to bounce ideas off of the two drivers, I think it's going to go a long way in the development of that team and figuring out where they go next. You know, I think they had what I would consider a better rookie season as a, as a rookie team out there than I would have guessed. Obviously, Bubba not a rookie driver, but I would consider them a rookie team their first year. You know, we talked about, uh, they may not win a race this year. In fact, they probably won't while well, they ended up winning a race. So I think all in all, they had a better season out of the gate than we expected. Now, where do they kind of situate themselves now that we're moving to the next-gen car? I think having a second driver in that scenario, being that we're going to a totally different car, is also going to help them because they'll have two notebooks versus one as they're going 
to track after track after track to figure out what these cars do at the different circuits. Another bold move is Austin Sendrick moving into Brad Keselowski's old car, the number two car for Team Penske. He was supposed to be in the 21 with the Wood Brothers, but Brad left Penske for what is now known as Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. So Austin has moved over. Jason, Austin has proven he can win in the Xfinity Series. What are the expectations in his rookie season in the Cup Series? I think it's uh, I expect him to win some races because he's already proven the fact that he can run in the Cup Series. We saw him in the races that he did in that 33 car that he had, and he was competitive in a lot of those races. You know, I go back to Richmond earlier this year where he started – uh, at the back of the pack because obviously he didn't have the points and everything else when it came to the formula to determine the starting lineup and worked his way up into the top, what, 14, 13 before he got mixed up in an accident. But the kid can drive a car. Uh, I, he knows obviously how to win on road courses. He's become pretty, very, done very, very well in racing on super speedways. And that was the whole thing with, with Austin when he was coming in through the truck series was his knock was, okay, he was great on road courses, couldn't finish the races on the other tracks. Well, he worked harder to be able to, to accomplish that. Uh, a lot of sim time for him. Of course, going to the Xfinity Series helped him, of course, winning the championship there last year, not this year, but last year. And uh, I think definitely he's got the, the tools, the knowledge to be able to do it. And I thought it was very smart on Ford's part to not put him in a car this past year because that way he can focus solely on the next-gen car for the Cup Series. He didn't have to worry about doing a full deal in the Cup Series this year. And now it transitioned perfectly because Brad made the, the run over to now what RFK uh, Racing, and he gets his ownership opportunity, which he likes. He's still staying with Ford there, too. So I think it's a great move, and I look forward to Austin Cindric winning. Some of the drivers have been pushed out of rides due to some strategic moves by organizations. One of those is Ryan Newman. Let's start with you, Jason. Newman's been around a long time. Where do you see him landing? I think if if you're needing somebody to put in your car to uh, you know maybe run Daytona or some other things as well, you got an extra seat. He'd be the guy you probably want to put in there uh, just to get the experience of what he can do with a race car. Uh, it's unfortunately in the in nature of this business right now that bring some financial support with you. That's the hard part. So if Ryan Newman or Matt DiBenedetto had a sponsor that's going to bring $10 million to the table to run a full season in the cup series, $10 million plus they'd be in a ride this year. You know, they're both talented. They both deserve opportunities to be in the cup series. You know, Ryan, like I said, has been there a long time. Uh, he's built a great career in the, in the uh, cup series and NASCAR in general, he could go back and run trucks and probably be happy with it. As long as he's spending time with his girls and being able to go out and run open wheel stuff whenever he can on midgets or, you know, jump behind the wheel of a USAC car. Yeah. I am with Jason on that. That were, those were my exact thoughts. I see Ryan kind of settling in on the truck series level uh, just because of, of the grittiness of that series. And I think it matches his personality. You know, I put him with the likes of like a Matt Crafton or a Johnny Sauter, somebody that has experience that has had success um, in NASCAR is kind of in the, you know, closing part of their career, but still has just as much, you know, thrive and competitiveness as they did, you know, years ago. And I think he would be a lot of fun to watch in the trucks in a full-time position coming up an extension of silly season with chip ganassi racing leaving the sport this is nascar live now back to mike bagley welcome back to nascar live one of the biggest shockers that i'm not sure many saw coming was Trackhouse racing announcing that they were buying chip ganassi racing it was a huge move considering ganassi had been in nascar for 20 years dave moody steve post and kurt becker are back 
Dave, this new wave of ownership doesn't seem to be dwindling. They're growing. What do you make of that? I think a lot of this comes back, and not just track house, uh, not just 2311, uh, but kids like Matt Tift and B.J. McLeod getting into the ownership game. It all comes back to the next-gen race car. Until about a year and a half or two years ago when this new car got announced, the business model, quite honestly, didn't make a whole lot of sense for a new owner because you had to buy the charter. You had to make a huge investment. You had to hang your own bodies and build your own chassis and, and, and hang your own bodies and do everything yourself. It's not a coincidence that we've seen a bunch of new owners come into this game. Maury Gallagher, GMS Racing, just this week now getting into, into the cup deal with a two-car team. And it all comes back, in my opinion, and I know it does in the, in the case of Trackhouse because I did a lot of talking to Justin Marks throughout this season. He said, I would not be here if it weren't for the next-gen race car. And when, when it came time to go looking for a second charter, he talked to a bunch of people. And all of the deals went a certain amount of time down the road, but none of them came together. And Justin being the smart guy that he is, he didn't think outside the box. He thought he thought outside the crate. I can't buy a charter. Let's buy an entire organization. And he just happened to catch Chip Ganassi in a weak moment. And Chip said, you know, there'll probably never be a time. If I'm going to get out of this game at some point, there will never be a more lucrative, lucrative time to get out than right now. And it all came together for Justin Marks. Yeah, I think you're right on that, Dave. I think that the timing was really good for Chip Ganassi and the timing for Justin Marks. Here's, here's what I love about this, this um, new ownership is that Justin Marks is so far outside of the box. You're, you're right in, in, in getting the team from Chip Ganassi, but the way he markets the team. I'll never forget when we were in Nashville for the race back in June. Um, Alex Hayden and Steve Fridley, our engineer, and myself, we were going down to Lower Broadway. It's the middle of the afternoon. We're going to Lower Broadway. And as we come around the corner by the, by the, uh, the arena there, um, the, the, the town is shut down. The street is shut down. And it's like, what is going on there? And Alex was kind of ahead of us and he spins around and he says, well, there's a race car in the middle of it. And it's like, oh, okay, there's a, okay. Well, it's NASCAR weekend. It's a race car. And then we, we pull in closer and this is something that would never be on my bingo card. Daniel Suarez shut down lower Broadway in Nashville. They have the Tootsie's car, which they're going to run. They've just recently announced they're going to run multiple times next year. But just the, the creative thinking and the excitement and, and the creativity of it is, is just so neat with Justin Marks. And I just can't wait to see what this team does out of the box as far as putting their team together. And then it occurred, it was, it was just kind of great. They're, they're, they're hanging on to Daniel Suarez as the driver and able to keep Ross Chastain in the fold. So they've got a couple of really young, hotshot drivers that are going to wheel these cars as well. Chip Ganassi has been a staple in NASCAR for a long time. Kurt, is there something that sticks out in your mind about his time in the sport? I, I would start by saying, you know, you look at, at the fact Chip Ganassi has won championships in other forms of motorsport. And, and I know that Chip himself acknowledged the fact that uh, the cup championship was something which eluded him. Number one, it's, it's a testament to, frankly, how difficult it is to attain that goal. But number two, one thinks back at all of the significant big stage, big moment races that Chip Ganassi took home. I, I think it's unfair to get so focused on, quote unquote, lack of a championship 
to ignore the successes that Chip had. And what I like about it, you know, Chip is a guy that for no more often than I've had a chance to run into him and talk to him, he's going to do things his way. And I like that. I like the fact that Chip kind of has this stern countenance about him. He's in control, he's focused, and he will come into a situation and he's going to run it as he sees fit and tremendous success with 15, 15 wins at the cup level. How, how many teams, how many team owners would love to be able to say they've done that? Decent point, Kurt, to him doing things his own way. You know, in an era not too many years ago where everybody was looking for the next great thing, the next big driver running sprint cars and midgets on dirt, Chip Ganassi says, I think I'll bring in a Formula One guy. I think I'll bring in Juan Pablo Montoya. I think I'll bring Dario Franchitti in and give him a whirl in these things. And I, I love the fact that as much cross-pollination between fan bases as Kyle Larson has been responsible for in the last year or so. Chip Ganassi really started that because he made it possible for an IndyCar fan and even, God help us, a Formula One fan to get interested in NASCAR and vice versa. Nobody else was willing to do that. Chip did it. Rusty, you've known Chip for a long time. What do you think Chip's mindset was to make this decision? Yeah, I'm going to miss Chip Ganassi. He's a great friend of mine. Uh, just a super smart when it comes to racing and business and everything. And I think that he watched what was going on in the sport. He saw all the new, new changes that were going to happen, uh, the money he was going to have to spend on the new cars. And, and then he was, he was struggling, you know, trying to put a, a, a top caliper driver lineup together too. I mean, that was tough, tough for him. And then, well, I mean, you got to admit, look what happened to Cal Larson. He had Cal Larson. He was used to that. And then when everything, uh, went crazy with Kyle, and he had to let Kyle go. I mean, that that really was something that really upset uh, Chip. He, he didn't want that to happen. He really likes Kyle Larson a lot. And then finally, I just – he's doing so well in the Indy cars and so well in the IMSA stuff. Uh, I think he said, you know what, I've, I, this has run its course for me. It really has run its course. I don't think there's any one particular reason where he said, hey, he loves NASCAR. There's no doubt about that. But, man – trying to find the sponsors, trying to find the drivers that he really wanted, uh, trying to, you know, switch everything over to the new cars. I think he just said, hey, this is the time I need to, if I'm going to do this, I need to do this. And obviously he got a good offer for his team, so that was it. Well, with Trackhouse now having a second car and showing they want to win and are willing to spend the money to do it, what position does this leave them in, Posty? I just think it sets them up really well, and and uh, the 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 new the next generation race car is an equalizer for so many people. So you can take this team with one year of experience or three years of experience, track house, however long they've been around, and you can stack it up to Richard Childress Racing with umpteen years of experience. So I think that that levels the playing field. And then what I'm just most excited about there is is the driver duo over there, Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez. Uh, Daniel, a former Xfinity Series champion. Ross, a race winner in the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series. I, I think the one thing is we have this young energy, this young excitement. But Dave, when I look at those duo of drivers with Ross and Daniel, there's a couple of guys there that are not afraid to mash the gas, not afraid to go up there and mix it up. And I just think that they're going to be this this future of our sport. Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez are going to be drivers that are going to take this sport to the next level. So two young guys that that are really going to push each other.
Nobody wants to be second best in your own organization. They're going to get along fine. They're going to be friendly. They're going to be cooperative. But what's the old saying? If you're not the lead dog, the view never changes. You want to be number one in the sport, but you sure as heck don't want to be number two in your own team. So you want to be the guy that leads the way. Ross Chastain is going to push Daniel Suarez. Daniel Suarez is going to push Ross Chastain. And Justin Marks is just going to stand back and smile watching it all happen because it's going to make his race team better every single week. All right. Thank you once again, gentlemen. Coming up, we'll discuss Brad Keselowski's move to Roush Fenway. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. There's been a lot of silly season news here. One of the biggest news items for 2022 as far as drivers in new places and teams expanding is an interesting mix of Brad Keselowski leaving Team Penske to join Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing, not only as a driver, but as a partial owner, making it RFK. Jeff Striegel and Alex Hayden are back here with me. Jeff, what are your thoughts on Brad literally turning a page in his professional career and now adding an owner entry in the NASCAR Cup Series? I didn't see this one coming way back. I, I think we all recognize the fact that Brad may be leaving Team Penske to go somewhere. I, I think we all recognize that was going to come at some point or another. I didn't see, and Alex, I know you're going to want to weigh in on this as well, but I didn't necessarily see him taking on an ownership role. But after it was announced and everybody kind of wrapped their arms around it, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it this way. If there's somebody that I would like to bring into my organization, I would love that individual to have Team Penske or more importantly, Roger Penske uh, backing and background and the understanding of how that organization works. When you define a high-performing well-run organization you look at team penske at the top of the list alex and i would i guess if i'm roush and fenway i love the idea of bringing that culture inside of my doors yeah you need a change uh, clearly they have been off the pace just a bit for a handful of seasons now and for brad keselowski to to want to take on an ownership stake to me i look at this in a couple of different ways number one for brad it shows that he's a shrewd businessman. Not only is he going to continue his driving career, but he's going to try to start making money and earning money uh, to, to start setting himself up for when he hangs up the driving helmet and is no longer a race car driver. I think that's great. I think it also shows, too, that a, a guy like a Brad Keselowski, who's a champion in the Cup Series, to be able to say, I see a future and I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is the future is still NASCAR Cup Series racing. I think that bodes well for our sport as a whole. But I think across the board, the biggest thing to me that jumps off the page with this maneuver by Brad Keselowski teaming up uh, with Roush Fenway Racing is the fact that Brad's not just going to another race team to be the employee to do what he's told and drive the race car. I think Brad Keselowski is saying, I get to drive the car, but I'm going to have a say-so in how we build these cars and what we do to these race cars and the types of things we have as far as people goes uh, and who we hire and the type of people we surround ourselves with. So Brad Keselowski wants to win. He wants to continue to win races and continue to buy for championships. And for him to be able to say, I'm still going to drive 
but I'm also going to have an ownership say in this thing too. I think that goes a long way, Jeff, that he's making it very clear. RFK racing is going to be a contender. I think the great question is going to be how much time do they need? And while this has zero to do with on-track performance and winning races, I found it interesting in a conversation that we had with Brad right at the end of the year and asked, What's the first thing you're going to do when you get to Roush Fenway and become part of that ownership team? And he said, actually, I've already done it. He said, what I'm going, what I've already done is I painted the walls inside the uh, reception area. Why? Because I want everybody to know when they walk through the front door of this building that you are going to see change immediately. And it caught me off guard. I think it did with you, Alex. It was like, wow, that's interesting. Again, it has nothing to do with winning the Daytona 500. But what it does do is it sends a message to every employee that beginning right now, right now today, as you walk through our front door, you're going to see change. And my guess is, Alex, you're either going to be part of the solution or you're not going to be around very much longer. I think you're exactly right. There's a lot of talented people out there that will be more than willing to go to work at RFK if somebody does not want to be a part of it. And I think it's that simple uh, to your point, Jeff. So, yeah, Mike, I I think Brad Keselowski's impact is already being felt there inside that race shop. The results have to come now, and, and it all starts with funding. And can they put their money out there on the racetrack and find the speed that they need? Rusty, you obviously have a connection with Roger Penske and Brad Keselowski. What do you think of Brad's move to ownership? Him over at Penske, he did such a great job. But, boy, I tell you what, he is a guy that really wants to grow things. I mean, even with his truck team he had a long time ago, he shuts it down, then he builds a a brand-new machine shop over there, and he's got all kind of business. He's having all kind of stuff going right for him over there. He's actually building parts for, for jet engines uh, he's having a great time doing that with this co- new company. And I think he really has got enough confidence in himself that he thinks, and I believe he can go over to uh, Roush and just make it better. And when you, I talked to him at the Ford stage out there in Phoenix, and, and we had a good conversation and he said, you know, I'm ready for this. And, and this, one of the fans asked him, he said, what are the, one of the first things you're going to do? And he said, well, he laughed a little bit and he said, well, he said, this might sound crazy, but I'm going to go in there and paint everything. I'm going to paint the floors. I'm going to paint all the walls. It's going to be totally fresh and totally new and totally different. And now we're going to have new cars. And he said, man, we're going to get it done. So he had a lot of confidence. And you got it, and you know those guys are all getting their engines from the same guy. They're all getting them from uh, Doug Yates over at uh, uh, Roush Yates Engines. So Penske gets a strong Ford engines. Brad's going to get exactly the same engines. Brad is a really, really good chassis guy. Him and his father grew up, you know, up there in Michigan, building their own cars, building their own engines. They know how to do that stuff. So I personally think he's going to be successful over there, even though it was such a big surprise that he left Penske. Coming up, we've got more of NASCAR Live. This is NASCAR Live. Now back to Mike Bagley. As we get ready to throw the checker flag on this show, we like to welcome you back. And with all this being said, Those are our top 10 stories of 2021. It's been great to cover the sport over the last year. It's been great to have you listening to the work that we put out there, seeing you at the racetrack, interacting with your tweets, et cetera, et cetera. Our thanks to Jeff Striegel, Alex Hayden, Dave Moody, Steve Post, Kurt Becker, Jason Toy, Kim Kuhn, 
and NASCAR Hall of Famer Rusty Wallace. And for the rest of the MRN crew, I'm Mike Bagley. We thank you so much for making us a part of your weekly NASCAR listening. Can't wait to chat with you again next week right here on NASCAR Live. Until then, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina, and was brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Today's broadcast was produced by Alexa Henrian and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes. Ruoff Mortgage has the technology, expert staff, and resources to simplify the process while speeding up the time it takes to get clear to close. So while getting a loan can seem intimidating, Ruoff Mortgage will have you opening the door to your new home fast and stress-free. Visit Ruoff.com to learn more. That's Ruoff.com.